Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rope Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back to preview the Coventry City game at the Stadium of Light. It's the first game for Michael Beale as Southern head coach and well I'm, I am looking forward to it actually so I'm looking forward to this podcast too to get a chance to talk to Chris all about it. Hi mate. Hello Kevin. Yes, looking forward to it. First game in charge. It always mm. should be a good atmosphere actually. Well, you'd like to think so. It's going to be an interesting atmosphere because, as as we've come to learn this week, there are some people who are frothing at the mouth at the prospect of having a new head coach. Uh, but this is Michael Beale's first game in charge, of course. And nah, but being serious, though, everyone's going to be there, giving him their best wishes as he starts a job. And that's what he gets from us, too. Coventry, difficult game, though. Me and you have been talking about this just before we came on. It's always a tough game. You, it, you can get lulled in and look at the league table. Like at the minute, Coventry are are sitting in 15th place, but they're on 27 points. That's only five fewer points than we're on. They've actually been in canny form recently after starting the season pretty badly. And, I mean, this game, whenever we play Coventry, it seems like it's just a horrible game, isn't it? I mean, going back years and years and years, (laughs) this has always been a horrible game. I remember playing them first game of the season at Highfield Road when Peter Reid was Coventry manager and getting beat, I think it was 3-2. Obviously, you think back to that one under Jack Ross when we lost 5-4 when our defenders just forgot how to defend and so did theirs. <laughs> it's generally quite an entertaining fixture, but we never beat them. I mean, I was <laughs> I was looking before. Uh, we're winless in our last seven league games against Coventry, last one being in February 2007, a 2-0 win when Roy Keane was manager. I mean, it's been a while, hasn't it? So it's about time we won one, I think. I mean, I'll go back to the, the League Cup games. I think it was 89-90, I think, when Gary Bennett chucked, David Speedy into the clock stand paddocks and That's everyone a had a bit one, of a dig it? at him mm. and he got him by the throat and all that sort of stuff. That was that was cracking that. It was just unfortunate that we got absolutely hammered at their place in the replay. But uh <laughs> but anyway. But yeah, but it's, it's always just horrible. You just you just say the the word Coventry and you go, Oh, it just kind of just makes you feel down about stuff, doesn't it? Just the name. Yes. They're just a horrible <laughs> yeah, yeah. team and it's one of them games where whenever we face them, I just don't look forward to it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And obviously with reason, you know, you look at the results. We haven't we haven't beat them in our last seven league games against them. But on the other side of the coin, currently have won one of their last 15 league visits to Sunderland. So mm. it's it's a hard one to work out. It's like it's almost nailed on to be a draw, I think, but we'll come on to all that afterwards. But it's it is a it is gonna be a tough game. I mean, taking whatever's happened years and years 
go out the out the equation here. You know, they're, they're a good side. They nearly got promoted. They got to the final of the playoffs last year, lost a couple of players and then had to bring some new ones in, which was obviously a, a bit of a, a slack period for them. And they started the season pretty poorly, actually. Uh, but you can always guarantee that Mark Robbins's teams will be organised, they'll be at you. Always got players who are, are physical and athletic and just get in your face and can mix it up. But also have, you know, they have players in their team who can score goals. So it's, you know, you've only got to look at their fixtures recently, haven't you, to see how well they've done in recent games in, in terms of coming up against decent opposition. They've played a fair few of the top 10 and actually mm. done pretty well, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, Mark Robbins is coming up almost seven years, I think it is, as Coventry manager. I mean, in the yeah. grand scheme of things, when managers, I think the average lifespan as a manager is about 12 months. He's been <laughs> there like, if he's been there seven years, he's obviously doing something right. But yeah, they're that sort of team. And they've, Mark Robbins has kind of slowly built. He's kind of done better in every every season he's been in charge, you know, since he, he took over in, in League Two, I think it was. Yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he's done he's done better year on year every single season. I mean, this at the minute is looking like the first season where he hasn't done better than the year before. And bizarrely, actually, I was looking this like last season was their best league finish since 2000, 2001 when they got relegated from the Premier League. Um, mm-hmm. So it just shows kind of the job he, he's doing there. Yeah, it is going to be a tough game, but their away form on paper throughout their 11 games so far stinks, basically. They're what? I think they've got the sixth worst away record in the division. There's only five teams um, worse than them away from home. That's Stoke, Birmingham, Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday and Rotherham. Usual suspects down there. <laughs> um, but but on the, the flip side, that I think in the last few, the last few away games, it kind of suggests that they're not doing too bad. They've only lost one of the last three, and I think that was against Ipswich. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, they went two two nil down in that game before getting one back. But that yeah. second goal from Ipswich, you might you might have seen it. I don't know. People listening probably have the 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 goal from Wes Burns. It was an absolute wonder goal with the outside of his right boot into the top corner. So you kind of look at it from that perspective, and you think they've been done by a wonder goal. Got back into it with one, only got beat 2-1 in Ipswich have beaten nearly everybody this season. And then, you yeah. know, you look at their other recent away games, took a point off Leeds, beat Millwall 3-0 away. Yeah, I saw you know? that. Yeah. So they've, they've had some canny results sort of recently. And I don't know whether it's really a fair reflection on them that they're 15th, because like I say, they beat us. They're going to shoot up another three or four places maybe. It's like, that's how close the league is and... I kind of ignore the league position now because especially with our recent results, you know, you see some of the teams we've played recently and think based on the league position, we should be beating them and we haven't, you know. Lost to Bristol City, who were a bit further down the table than we were. Only took a point off Millwall, lost to Huddersfield, lost to Plymouth. So really, you've got to kind of take the the league position out of the equation. I think not always, but certainly when you're playing the teams who are just sort of in and around you, I don't think league position actually matters at this stage of the season because I don't think Coventry will finish 15th either. I think they, they've got better players than to be sat that position. They'll, they'll probably steadily climb up and wouldn't be surprised if sort of come the end of the season they're around the top 10 again because they're a canny team. Yeah, well, it looks like it. I mean, like you said, I mean, one defeat in the last seven home and away as well. I mean, like you said as well, they went through a summer where they basically, you know, lost their two best players and they brought two you know, Ellis Sims and uh, and Hadji Wright, as you said. But they had to change the way they played as well because of that. They were so organised last season. The only way they got to the playoffs was because they were so organised. 
you know, in terms of, I remember we played them and they just kind of bullied us. They weren't a fantastic football inside. They just had a really good way of playing that suited them. And they've had to rip that up and almost start again a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we're halfway through the season, pretty much. This is almost kind of the halfway point. And they're now just seemingly finding that way again. They've got their way of playing again. So they are steadily climbing the table because I remember seeing at one point thinking actually Coventry were, were deep in the mess. Mm-hmm. I think they're at that point now, they're at that tipping point where they're, they're not looking over their shoulder anymore. And as you said, the, the league's that tight that, yeah, okay, you can keep looking at the league, but three points, you know, like like if we if we didn't pick up, you know, that those four points after Mowbray left would be two points better off than Coventry if yeah. we hadn't picked those four points up. You go on a bad run at three or four games, you can slip down to being on the edge of the playoffs down to where Coventry are now, and it doesn't yeah. take that much. So the championship's always going to be like that. But yeah, I'm the same as you. I think it seems like Coventry are getting a bit of momentum. But at, at the same time, even though, you know, talking about their away form in general and their last few games haven't been too bad, but, you know, I think it's too soon to know how much their away form's improved or whether those were just one-offs where they actually stepped it up. And the Leeds game, looking at the Leeds game, it looked like backs against the wall and it was purely because Leeds didn't finish them off more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, and you kind of understand that at Ellen Road, them not going there to play on the front foot. We saw what what it was like playing Leeds. We sat deep and took three points off them. So yeah. maybe that's just the way teams are looking at Leeds and thinking, right, we we probably should just let them have the ball, try and break. But you mentioned about losing their best players. I don't know if you've seen in the last few days that Victor Gotteres, who of course went to Sport in Lisbon, he's now on seventeen goals and eight assists for the season in twenty games for them. He's being linked with a move to Chelsea and Arsenal in January. That's the calibre of player they've just lost. They've just yeah. lost a striker who is being linked with an £86 million move to Chelsea now. So, I mean, they, they were going to feel that. There's no way. they. Were. I, I remember watching him in the, I think it was the first game of the season last year when we played them at the Stadium of Light. And you, you know you just tell somebody's a proper player. He just had everything. He was six foot three, six foot four, powerful, fast could hold the ball up, had great footwork. So, you know, I think when you lose that calibre of play and then you add Gustavo Harmer onto it, and I know, yes, he's went to Sheffield United and they're not doing so well, but he was a brilliant player for them too. Yeah, they're going to feel the effect of that. It's like taking Jack Clark out of our team and maybe taking out, I don't know, Dan Neal or something like that. You know, you're going to feel the effect of losing players who, who are that good. So you can kind of understand why they maybe didn't start the season so well. That's why I'm not taking them lightly. I think I think we'd be daft. I think we'd be daft to take Coventry lightly and I think it's you know we often say it's about what Sunderland do but it's it's actually quite hard to work out what we're going to do isn't it because obviously this week Michael Beals came in and started his job on Monday being out on the training pitch with the players he's made it very clear in his meetings with the press that he doesn't plan to change too much he actually quite likes what we've been doing this season and doesn't think there's a an awful, awful lot that we need to change but it's going to be interesting to see what he does change, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm thinking, yes, we're not going to see drastic tactical change. We're not going to see, you know, loads of different players playing, and we're going to be playing a totally different system immediately. Because you know that's not just not going to happen. We've got too many games coming up. We've got very little time on the training pitch, really, between games. But still, it's going to be quite interesting, isn't it, to see his version of this team? And after you know, on Monday. We played basically a full team of first teamers for the under twenty ones, and he watched that game. 
maybe just trying to see what we've got in reserve. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see if anybody impressed him, any of the injured lads who played in that game make the bench and get closer to the first team. I'm actually more excited for sort of the, the, the team announcement before the game to just see how we may be going to line up and, and see if it's anything sort of different than what we've seen recently. Yeah, it's been interesting listening to listen to the noises coming out around the appointment in terms of the, the coaching team that it seems like um, Michael Bale's been brought in as that head coach, but he's at the he's at the head of a coaching structure almost. Almost who, like a committee, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, that's what it seems like. And, and these these people, your Michael Dodds, your Proctors, all the coaches who are already there, you know, that they, they're going to have a big say in things. That, it, yes, okay, Michael Bale's going to be the one who makes the final decision on things, but still it's going to be a collective rather than him just dictating like, the traditional manager or the traditional head coach. And I, I just think this weekend, because he's only had what, two days on the training pitch, something like that. And I think Michael Bale in the press conference, I think he, he must have mentioned the coaching team like three or four times. And he yeah. was he was always rattling the names off. It was really interesting to hear him say that and talking about the structure that, you know, Christian Speakman had said that he needs to follow if he came in. I just think this weekend, it's going to be more of the same in the fact that I think it's going to be directed by Michael Dodds and Michael Proctor in terms of, you know, the way we set up. I just yeah. don't think in, in two days' time, I think I think he'll say, well, this weekend, you know, I'll speak to you as a team. I want to, I, he might tinker with a couple of things. I just think in terms of how we set up, I just think that coaching set up, he'll probably leave a, a lot of it to them in terms of yeah. setting them, yeah, setting yeah. them up. And he might just talk to the players, but I, th- I think generally it'll be it'll be much of what we've seen before. But in terms of team selection, I thought that reserve team game was funny because it was almost like, right, we've got a new manager, right? Let's throw as many of players as we can onto the pitch so we can <laughs> see them. You know, all of none of our strikers that we've brought in have scored yet, so let's get them to see them all in a, in the same game so yeah. we can, <laughs> he can have a look at them all. <laughs> Let's say Tony Mowbray hadn't been sacked. I very much doubt you'd have seen all four strikers take the pitch in that no. in that reserve team game. No, yeah, and I went that game and was quite interested. I was already going because I kind of the reason I the reason I wanted to go was because I knew Pembele was going to play, and I thought, oh, it'd be nice to see him play. So I'd already bought my ticket and decided I was going along. And then we saw the team like kind of an hour before kickoff, and I couldn't couldn't really <laughs> believe it to be honest. I was like, Jesus, what's going on here? Um, but you're right, it was definitely a case of just putting everybody who needs a game out onto the pitch because even the two central midfield players that we had were Bradley Dack who's a somewhere between a a deep lying centre forward and a 10 and (laughs) Adil Oshish who's a an attacking midfielder a number 10 so it was kind of like two attacking midfield players in the middle of the park with attacking wing backs and just a front four where I think Burstow and Mayenda played wider than Rusin and, and Hamia did. And it didn't work, but it was never going to work, was it? It was kind of, you know, you're just asking the lads to go out there and, and sort of some very vague tactical instruction. But what was important was, was I guess, if you're, if you're maybe Michael Beale watching or any of the coaching staff watching, they're probably looking for application. Kind of like, okay, mm. Michael Beale had just been appointed earlier that day, just met the players that day, just took training that day. It was on the players to kind of show them that the they were asked about playing. They wanted to show them what they were made of or, you know, they wanted to work hard. And I think the application was there. I think actually, you know, it was it was funny watching the likes of sort of Bradley Dack playing as a deep lie in centre midfielder and 
linking up with the defenders. Never seen him do that before. You know, you look looking at the likes of Burstow and Mayenda going down the wings and cutting inside and trying to offer an attacking presence from the wide positions. And Hamir ran about quite a bit. The one that impressed us the most was Pembele. Pembele looks quality. I've seen 45 minutes of him in a under-21s game, and I can already tell he's a good player. There's a reason he was starting in, in the league and in the Champions League for PSG before he got injured. You can just... You, you, you look like I mentioned about Gokarez being a proper player. You can see the difference between a Pembele and then on the other side, God bless him, Ellis Taylor. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Playing on the other side of the defence. And he only got 45 minutes, but... You know, he was he was good on the ball. His touch was good. Um, the most impressive thing was the way he carried the ball up the wing. He's a very, very much an attacking fullback. So for me, you know, it's those little things really that were probably more important. I don't think he'll have off the back of that necessarily looked at Pembele and said, I want, want him in the team at the weekend because he's, you know, he's, he's had quite a long time out. And for most of them players, it was about just giving them minutes. But the one that really stuck out to me, mainly because he scored a goal, but also because he, he just looked threatening, was Rusin, and I quite like Rusin. I've mentioned it a lot on this podcast. I think that Rusin's going to be, if you give him a proper chance and a run in the team, and I mean, the only reason he came out of the team was because he got an injury, but if you can give him a proper run, I think out of really him, Bursto and Hamia, he's the one most likely to come good. So with Rusin, I'm thinking perhaps he could come into the team this weekend. I mean, it's a strong possibility. I think, you know, not just based on the fact he scored that goal, but based on the fact that I think at some point we've got to commit to a centre-forward and we've got to say to one of these lads, look, you're the man. I don't think it's Burstow. If I'm honest, from what I've seen recently from Burstow, I'm, I'm thinking they might be quite tempted to send him back in January. Hamir, obviously, there's you can tell just by the amount of instruction he gets from the side in these 21 games, because you hear everything, and they're screaming at Hamir all the way through just to run. <laughs> you know, So there's obviously something there they're not sure on. And then Mayenda, actually, he's a ball carrier. He looks like he's probably going to be more of a threat from out wide than maybe as a as a centre-forward down the middle. He doesn't look like he's going to be the type of lad who bullies defenders and bumps into them and sort of try to rough some up. Whereas with Rusin, I think there's something a little bit more there. So I don't know what you'd do, but w- w- would you bring him in? Prob- probably not. No? I just think Mike Dodds is going to be the loudest voice in there in terms of team selection. Um, and I think Michael Bale almost has to listen to his coaching staff this week, uh, you know. And then he, once he's got a bit more time on the the training pitch, he can have a you know more of a say because he's seen the players train and he knows what they're all about. But at the minute, mm. uh, I think he's got to go with what Mike Dodds recommends, and I I can't see anything else but Job playing up top again because I think I think Mike Dodds likes him there. And and the other thing with that, if you move Job further up the pitch it gives an opportunity for someone else like a Pritchard or someone like that to come in behind him. Yeah, yeah. You know, whoever he might pick to kind of play in that role behind him or, or Sheesh, he's always looked dangerous when he's played. And yeah, so I, I just think by pushing Job up, it almost gives more options to in the midfield. Whereas if you, I don't think they're going to take Job out. If you play a Rusin up front and you've got to ask yourself, does the likes of Rusin, Amir, Burstow, Mayenda, did they have they done enough to deserve getting in that starting eleven over the likes of someone like Pritchard or Oshish? I'm not yeah. so sure. And if you look at it like that, I, I don't think there's much of a case for for bringing one of them in. And you've given them minutes, so you would like to think that they're a bit sharper. So if you've got them on the bench and we're at home, 
and you know it's nil nil 20 minutes to go or something like that then maybe that's the time to, to kind of bring them on but just about burst or when you when you mentioned about us sending them back if you're like the Chelsea loan manager or sorting out all the loans and you're looking at Burstow, to be honest, you're getting them to come back. And there's yeah. bound to be a clause in there because there's no point in them sitting that's on doing what he's doing. So no. I'd, I'd be absolutely staggered if he's with us in, in January. Yeah, well, I, I don't know where I've seen it recently and it could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain he was, before he came to us, he was all lined up to go to Stockport in League Two. I mean, the top of League Two, like. Yeah. Um yeah. And, but you're right. I think if Chelsea looked at it strategically, they would probably think, let's get him back. Let's get him alone in League One. Let's send him somewhere else where, you know, because there's plenty of clubs in League One where he would play every minute of every game and he'd be the main man. And that's just not going to happen at Sun. I don't think it's ever going to happen for him. I've, I've not yeah. seen anything really in Burstow to indicate that that's going to happen anytime soon. And I've got nothing against him. You know what it is? He might just be one of these players where it's just not going to happen for him at Sunderland. He could go somewhere else, smash them in, end up being a crap player. I just don't think it's going to happen here. So, you know, you can kind of take him out of the equation. I know that's a that's a different sort of discussion altogether, but you have to factor in at the minute while he's our player. I mean, he could be here at the end of the season. But I just think if we've learned one thing about this group of players, that whilst the strikers aren't scoring, you know, going into January, we might have to look at that position. And it's a case of, right, who's expendable? Because they've only all just came in, you know? Hamia, you could possibly loan out somewhere. Burstow isn't our player. I imagine there's a cut-off sort of clause in his deal for January, because I'm sure that's entered into all loans. So it could just be a case of, you know, send them back. Send them back yeah. and and then that frees up a spot in the team for us to go and look for somebody else. And that might be another young striker from abroad, which won't please people, but that's kind of the way we're going. It might just be another... I mean, I... I Again, rumours going about about some striker from, uh, I think it was Benfica, 19-year-old centre-forward. I, I could be wrong with the club there, but I've seen something in the last few days about a striker. I think it is still a problem position. It's going to be a problem position until someone scores a goal. That might be the only sort of, you know, initially might be... I heard him talk about it in the press conference, Beal, talking about how we just need to get the final touches added at the top end of the pitch. He didn't, he didn't specifically say a striker, as he was quite careful in what he said. But I think that's the initially anyways that's sort of that that's that's what i want to see i want to see are we changing the way we play to get center forwards in this team and scoring goals yeah just on that press conference i was just uh, thinking there the only bit that looked slightly uncomfortable was where he started talking about the phone ringing in january for our players and i think he said yeah. and then he said we won't answer it and I'm not sure. I'm not sure Christian Speakman was uh, <laughs> was overly pleased he's seeing that. And then what if uh, Christian Speakman decides to cash in on someone in January if there's a if there's a ridiculous. Just on offer. that, by the way, just on that, did did it strike you at all? I mean, did you did you notice it at all that Speakman in particular made a point of sort of mentioning things that he was being criticised for, on, or maybe Mowbray brought up? Like I know it was mentioned about how the head coach has final say on uh, who plays in the team. Um, and has the biggest say. You mentioned about them having an input into transfers. It sort of felt like you need to get those in, didn't it? It was really weird. There was one point where he, he had to think about what words he was going to use because then he said, um, I think he started to go down the path of saying Tony Mowbray had his own ideas about how things should be done and he kind of stopped himself. Yeah. And there was, there was a bit of a pause and I think he realised where he was going with it. And yeah, I think he yeah. thought, I better just stop here. <laughs> I better just stop <laughs> He just started to say, oh, well, you know, we kind of need to move forward with this. 
I think part of them wanted to to kind of go down that route and say like Michael Bill knows that knows the score and all this sort of stuff and Tony Mowbray had other ideas. But on the flip side, I thought it was interesting as well that he said he's spoken to Tony Mowbray a couple of times since he'd actually you know left the club, which I thought yeah. I thought was quite nice. I'm glad it's like that rather than on bad terms. Well, I was listening to Total Sport talking about that, and I mean it doesn't you can't read too much into it, but Nick Barnes and and Marco didn't seem too convinced by that right. being brought up. I sort of get the impression that they've maybe been hearing other things, maybe from Mowbray's side, about the way things ended, and were maybe a mm-hmm. bit thrown by that Speakman brought up. He's actually spoke to spoke to Tony Mowbray since he left. But there we go. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. strange, and people can probably dig that out on BBC Sounds and listen to it themselves. In fact, they, they talked about it and they said the impression, I think Nick said the impression he's been given is, is that... They've wanted to kind of restructure that on the coaching side for a while now, and Mowbray didn't necessarily figure into that because you know you just mentioned it before about the whole, how we've got sort of a coaching committee now. Mm. I think they've maybe wanted to sort of move things around a bit. He was asked about Mike Dodds and his career progression and maybe being a head coach at some point, and a lot of people seem to think they might be grooming him for that position because he's just steadily sort of being promoted through the club, learning more and more. I think Speakman mentioned that. He and, and Beal are kind of on similar trajectories. They've come from a similar background and Beal's a little bit ahead of Dodds at the minute. It's also interesting to see that Stuart English, who was brought in from Birmingham, but it looks like he's now part of the first team set up properly because he's been on mm. everything. He was he was at the game with them the other night. He was, he's was he been seen on the training footage and, and videos and photos and whatever. So it does seem like they've kind of restructured things in that regard. So it'll be interesting, just, be interesting even on Saturday just to see see who's coming out on the touchline and barking instructions and stuff. Because I think you're right. I think think for the time being, just given the frequency of the games coming up, it's going to be pretty yeah. tough for for them to really divert too far away from what they've been doing. Because it's actually been working as well. That's the other thing, you yeah. know. So I imagine initially, at least, while Beal will be the man who's sort of at the forefront, he'll, he might just take a bit of a back seat to, for a lot of things and sort of watch and learn and then once this big busy period's over with, you maybe see him stamping a little bit more of his authority. I imagine that's already been well thought out because, you know, with, with the timing of everything, we're just playing so often over Christmas and stuff. It is tough to see how, how any of that changes. But anyways, back to the game before we round off. We've said it's going to be a tough game. What do you see as happening here? Because I, I feel like this has got draw written all over it, but new manager in the dugout, new voice in the changing room. Players looking to impress. It's a home game where form's been good at home. Like we've said, although Coventry's form has picked up recently, they're still not winning tons of games away from home. So what do you see is happening? I'm confident. I think we're going to beat them. I think, uh, and talking about draw, you know, we've played 11 games at home so far this season and we haven't drawn once. <laughs> then we've, you know, we've won seven out of that, so that you 11. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. You could look at it that way. But but since, since the Borough game, you know, we've won four out of five and... The one that we lost was that daft Huddersfield one where we just didn't turn up and Huddersfield caught us napping. So I just think we're a good side at home um, and that our defeats, I mean, we've been beaten four times at home. That daft one against Huddersfield, the Borough one where, where the referee just did his thing. Mm. So we've got the seventh best record, uh, home record in the division. And that, and that's that's part of why I think we're not going to stray too far. There's no point in my... If you're Michael Bale... And you're looking at that record. You're looking at how we've played. You're looking that we're on a run of four wins in the last five at home. 
you're not going to come up, you're not going to suddenly come in in two days and rip all that up and no. say we're going to do something completely different. It'd be madness. I mean, yeah. you know, it'd just be ridiculous. The players wouldn't be into that. Um, the coaching staff would be looking at you as if you're a bit strange. So I think I think that's it. I think I think kind of it's going to be more of the same. We're going to set up as we do at home, and and I think we're going to beat them. I, th- I think Coventry, yeah, they might have had a couple of results recently, but I think they're a bit flaky. You know, who knows where where that good form is going to go, especially away from home. So yeah, I'm I'm confident. And the other thing is, it's it's our first Saturday three o'clock kickoff, uh, since the Norwich game in late October. Yeah, there's not been many this season as we've been on Sky pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> every time we've been at home this season, so nice to just have a Saturday three o'clock kickoff, isn't it? So yeah, you're going, you're going with a with a Sunderland win. Then I'm, yeah, I'm, we, we are swapping round a bit recently. I'm going to say a draw. You know, <laughs> we haven't drawn a home all season, and we tend to draw with these every time we play them. It seems, yeah, one all draw. But I'd love a win, obviously, love a win. I think if we do win, it might be a big win. I just, it might be one of them where you're like, you no, know, bit like when Mowbray came in and we played Rotherham, and we just like, it just felt like everyone was trying to impress him and. It just clicked. Could be one of them kind of performances. So, you know, if we if we do win, I think it'll be heavy. But uh, yeah, we'll see them, mate. Well, we'll be back with the uh, review, won't we? Me and you probably. So I will chat you then. Cheers, mate. Yep. Cheers. Thanks again, mate. Yeah. Cheers to the listeners as always. Thank you for everybody who has bought the book. Uh, we've announced that we've raised around five thousand uh, pounds from the profits of the sales of that book, which is just amazing. But we do still have some copies. You can get them from ALS in time for Christmas and make sure you pick up a copy either on match day or for online. You can order them online. Uh, £10, all profits go to Southern Community Soup Kitchen. Also, the fundraiser is going to run to the end of December. We're hoping for 40 grand. We're not far off. So if you can kick us as close to that as possible with any donation, small or big, it would be much, much appreciated. And we will join you back for the review after the game. So until then, we'll catch you later. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.